0: Hello, I'm Chris Neeland, host of a new podcast, Cult Brand Secrets, brought to you by The Gathering and Evergreen Podcasts. The Gathering is a Forbes top-rated business summit and a masterclass for brand and business leaders looking to reap the benefits of cult-like adoration. Each year, The Gathering brings together disruptors from around the globe to learn from and to celebrate the leaders behind iconic brands like Marvel, Skittles, Beats by Dre, Yeti, and the Dallas Cowboys. For the first time ever, this podcast will give you access to some of the exclusive business leader learnings from the Gathering's past events. Perhaps the greatest compliment that I can give Scott Baker or Porsche, the company that he represents, is that I wasn't really a car person before their brand evaluation. And now that I have spent time with him and studying Porsche, I am a big car guy, particularly a Porsche car guy. This is really one of the most remarkable companies and most remarkable brands. And I frankly don't think they get nearly the accolades or the admiration that they deserve within the marketing industry. Fortunately, I don't think the people at Porsche really care because they're just too busy winning races and growing a super successful business. But I love that The Gathering can be this forum that shines a bright spotlight on this amazing company and the amazing brand engagement that they have created and nurtured for decades. You know, Scott begins this 2019 speech at The Gathering by talking about his experience with Harley-Davidson and his time there really mirrors my own experience with Harley because they were our first cult brand client. Scott then goes on to share that Porsche's innovation is really unbelievable. Consider that 80% of their sales today come from car models and makes that didn't even exist in 2002. And that when you think of Porsche and that sports car that comes to mind, while that's still part of their heritage today, 70% of sales come from sedans and SUVs, not their sports car. Very few brands enjoy that type of brand extension and relevance, but perhaps more than anything else that Scott will teach us today, I suggest that you pay attention to this. If you really boil marketing down to its core essence, there are only two things that really, truly matter. First, ask yourself if your product is as remarkable as you think it is, or as remarkable as it needs to be. And if it's not, you need to spend your time, your talent, and your money making it better. Porsche truly makes remarkable automobiles. Secondly, ask yourself, are you creating and nurturing a tribe of enthusiasts who are excited about your product or your service? Porsche, just like Harley-Davidson, is masterful at providing desirable experiences either for the novice, first-time Porsche buyer, or for their diehard fans, people who are granted incredible access and the ability to associate with the brand and their brand leaders, as well as other Porsche fans. It really doesn't have to be more complicated than that. So let's hear how Scott does those two things for his brand.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. It's really great to be here. And we're gonna talk a little bit about how Porsche maintains its authenticity and how it cultivates incredibly passionate enthusiasts while growing the business. Not an easy thing to do, but something that Porsche has done in a miraculous way. But first, we're gonna start with a little journey. I grew up in a small town in Minnesota. When I graduated university, I really wanted to get into advertising. And so I got a job at an agency in Minneapolis. I worked on a number of brands and a number of businesses. And I had the incredible opportunity to work on a brand like Harley Davidson. And I worked with them for many years. I spent time in Milwaukee at their Juno Avenue offices. I did the Sturgis rallies. I did the Daytona Bike Weeks. And it's through them that I understood what you needed to do to communicate to audiences that cared about everything you did. Every word, every image, the tonality that you used, they devoured all of it. And as a young ad guy, I was in heaven. I was doing these things. I was in heaven. And my client uh, at the time, I can still hear Tom and Joe call me this they'd call me Scott Baker ad guy Scott Baker ad guy i guess my name is so simple if they felt they had to flavor it up a little bit so that's what i became to them fast forward a couple of years i was moved on to the Porsche business i became the account director of that business starting with it at 2002 by 2005 i'm the account director and my client at the time in atlanta calls me up and says Scott Baker ad guy I've got a gig down with Porsche in Atlanta. Would you like to join me? And so my wife and I and our newborn son, he was three months old. It was our first child. We moved to Atlanta. So this is essentially the first glimpse that I have of our office in Atlanta after my 70 kilometer commute. I'm in the car for about an hour and a half. I swipe my card, the security gates open, I enter our parking deck and the first thing I see is this lizard green GT3 RS. A car that's completely built for the track, the chassis, the engine, everything is tuned so this car can go as hard for as long as possible on the racetrack. But it can be driven every day. You can drive this, it's street legal, it can be driven every single day. I always park on the lowest level of our parking deck because I've been in the car for so long, I feel like going up three flights of stairs is gonna give me a little bit more exercise at the beginning of my day, get my steps in. I go to the back of the parking deck, I see this car, 918 Spyder. It's actually a hybrid car. It's plugged in to a charger in the wall. It's currently charging. It can run on electric only power, but when the combustion engine and electric engines are engaged, it's almost 900 horsepower. We made 918 of these. When it was sold, the MSRP was between eight and $900,000. This was in our parking ramp, just happened to be the day that I was making my journey up to my office. And I went up another flight of stairs. I saw this red classic 911 talking about how our parts and our restoration services can keep your old Porsches on the road. That's very important to this brand. I went up another half a flight of stairs I peered through the railings into our restoration center, and I saw this race car. This car won Le Mans in 1971. It's a 917K. It won Le Mans in 1971. The 24 Hours of Le Mans is the most grueling and famous endurance race in the history of motorsport, and Porsche has won it more times than any other manufacturer. This car not only won Le Mans in 1971, it still holds the lap record for the fastest lap on that circuit. So I see this race car, I go to the back of our building, I look out, there's 32 acres, 1.7 miles of performance track, five days a week, people can register to have an experience on this track in our cars with our professional instructors. Now this is the walk to my office. This is the walk to my office every day. Just tells you almost everything about the core principles that Porsche has and that's pretty profound. That a brand would create an office that allows you to experience these things within five minutes walking from your parked car to your office. Man, you're pretty inspired to do some great things for that brand, right? Now, people come here, and sometimes they just come to push the cars on the track. Sometimes it's the precursor for them to realize their dream of owning one of our cars. And a lot of times, that's what it is for people. It's a dream. It's a fulfillment of a dream, a reward for themselves. And there's one thing that you learn very quickly at this company. Dreams are incredibly important. If there is one statement, one phrase that is etched on walls, in books, on posters, recited in meetings, it's this one. Dr. Ferry Porsche, the man who created Porsche the car company, he couldn't find the car of his dreams. So what did he do? He built it himself. It was a small, lightweight, nimble sports car that used power efficiently. His son, Butzi Porsche, designed the 911. For almost 60 years, this has been our flagship car. When people think of Porsche, almost unanimously, this is the car that pops into their heads. In fact, when a lot of people just think of sports cars, this is the car that pops into people's heads. When I started working with the brand, we sold two cars. The 996 911 and the 986 Boxster. 100% of our sales came from these cars. 2018, a Porsche comes in a lot more flavors, including an SUV, a crossover, a sedan. Our market share since 2002 has tripled. Our sales have tripled. We're a $5 billion company in the US. 80% of our sales come from these four cars that didn't exist in 2002. And over 70% of our sales come from cars that most people wouldn't really truly consider to be sports cars. They have four doors. How can they be a sports car? So how does Porsche do that? All the brand monitoring that we see shows that our brand is as potent or more potent than it has ever been. But over 70% of our sales are from sedans and crossover SUVs and medium-sized SUVs. How does that happen? Let's dig into it a little bit. This is the architecture of our brand. Whenever we talk about what the brand Porsche, what its makeup is, this is the schematic that you see. At the heart is intelligent performance, the idea of getting maximum output from the smallest input. That goes for fuel, that goes for materials, it goes for staffing. Everything about our business revolves around this concept. There are some contradictions that occupy the periphery on this badge, this crest. I'm going to get into those in a minute. But the glue that holds everything together, what really makes everything flow, is this thing called fascination sports car. And it's emotional, it's mystical, it's very difficult to describe but it absolutely exists. And it's the emotion that people have when they come into contact with our brand, with our cars, with the sound of an engine, um, when they're behind the wheel. The real amazing thing about Porsche isn't that it does one thing insanely well. It's that it's able to bring together things that seem like absolute contradictions. They should not be able to exist in the same space. And then push the boundaries of them farther than any other automotive manufacturer can do it. So, innovation and tradition. Porsche is always pushing the boundaries in terms of powertrains, materials, aerodynamics, but as we talked before, heritage is incredibly important. And they always look back before they look forward to pay homage to the things that came before the current iterations. Our cars are rooted in motorsport, but they come with all of the things that people need to run their own 24-hour race, the things that they need in their lives, and they're very reliable cars. Porsche's design philosophy is a very much form follows function construct. Our designs are timeless because they are based around performing a function. In exclusiveness and social acceptance, when you become a part of the Porsche family, you feel like you're joining somewhat of an exclusive club. And if you take that car to a special event or an engagement, yes, it feels nice that you're pulling up in your Porsche, but you can also drop your kids off in the carpool line or take them to soccer the next day and the car still feels like it belongs there. Very, very few, if any, manufacturers can do this the way that Porsche can and it flows through to their product strategy. When we introduced the Cayenne back in 2003, our enthusiasts thought the world was going to end. Porsche had lost it. This company that is so well known for motorsport has the most motorsport victories than any more motorsport victories than any manufacturer in the history of racing. Well, it so happens we also introduced the Carrera GT, a V10 engine. More than 600 horsepower. If we introduced it today, it would still like, look like a contemporary supercar. When we launched the Macan, this car came along with it, the 918 Spyder. It set the lap record on the Nordschleife, which is the most intense proving ground for any sports car, when it was released. Next thing, outside of fascination sports cars and the contradictions that makes Porsche insanely successful. And maintains its enthusiast passion and a lot of people are going to say Scott this is really boring but it's true it's its consistency the 911 has seen eight iterations and they started with that platform and we just refined it we made it better we made it faster we made it more intuitive that's true with the marketing that's true with the global expression of the brand, that's true with the tonality, and the way that Porsche expresses itself. Consistency is incredibly important. And the thing about the consistency with this brand is that it provides an experience that always gets better over time. It's about refinement and making things better. not It's evolution versus revolution. It's not making a right turn. It's making what you have just a bit better. This room is full of sophisticated marketers, and we all know the KPIs that can be tracked. But at Porsche, the most important KPI we have is this one. And that is smiling faces, people feeling inspired, people getting passionate about what we do and the experiences that we create. And if you ask anyone on my team, they will say that our biggest responsibility, our biggest responsibility to this company is to create inspiring stories and experiences that drive a deeper and lasting relationship with the brand. That's what our marketing does. That is what it's responsible for. And the experiences are critically important. I'm going to now get into all the things that make this brand so experiential. It all started with motorsport. That was the first true experiential thing related to this brand and related to a lot of car brands. You could go there, you could see the competition, you could hear the engines, you could see the drivers and the engineers. And this was dangerous stuff. These people were rebels. I mean, they were putting their lives on the line every single race. And that element has stuck with this brand. And I think it's true of all cult brands, all passion brands. When you have something that separates the people that are connected to who you are and what you do, You celebrate those differences. You show them that they come together and they have this common purpose, this common belief that makes them a part of this tribe. And Porsche continues to invest in these experiences, not just so people that own the cars and love driving, but others can really get under the skin of what is so important to this brand. And there's so much substance and so much to learn, which is why the Porsche Museum was built in 2009 in Stuttgart. It's that millions of people have been there. They can showcase 80 cars at a time. The wonderful thing about Porsche is you might see one of the cars in the museum one week, and it's out racing the next. The cars are not meant to be artwork. They're meant to be driven, but they can be showcased in a place that looks like it should have art in it. This is the office I work out of at Porsche Experience Center in Atlanta. We also have one in Los Angeles. About 120,000 people went through these experience centers last year and 20,000 people did driving experiences with us. One of the biggest celebrations in the world related to this brand is an event that we do every four or five years, it's called Rensport. Takes place every four or five years. The last one was in September at Laguna Seca in Monterey, California. We had 80,000 people there, 2,000 cars, board members from Germany, Almost all of our famous drivers that are still alive that won the biggest races over the course of history. Celebrity owners. The great thing about this event is that there are no velvet ropes. There's no separation of someone that just drove in with some other make or someone who might have won Le Mans multiple times. It's like a family get together. It it feels more like a barbecue than it does like a dinner. And that's what makes it special. The other really big strength that a cult brand, a passion brand, has is creating events like this. It takes a lot of effort from their people. We had 120 people that work in various capacities at Porsche at this event, and these are people from human resources, from legal. They work in finance, and here they're mingling with our drivers, our owners. They're chaperoning people up to the top of the corkscrew so they can have the racetrack from another vantage point. They might work on financial spreadsheets all day long, but they get to experience this and it really gives them an appreciation for the bigger thing that they're really working towards every day, whatever your function is within the company. So thank you for your time this afternoon. Porsche is a really, really special brand and I hope you understand a little bit more about it during my time here.
2: You've got marketing communications in your title, but I sense that your job is probably a lot different than, you know, someone who would have the same role at another automotive brand. Can you can you tell us how your job might differ or be similar than to another automotive brand?
1: I think that's true and part of it is because of the brand that we are and the things that we really hold dear to ourselves are different than other companies. Yeah. It's also true because We're a very, very lean organization, and so everyone within the company wears multiple hats. And it's often that you find yourself involved with things that are outside of your job description or your title, not just in marketing communications, but in all walks within Porsche.
2: It must be a challenging brand in the sense that, you know, as a cult brand, one of the benefits that you enjoy is the ability to Command a higher price, but you know, as such, you, you're a brand that is intentionally not for everyone, right? So how do you how do you balance that exclusivity factor, you know, or, or the you know the cachet of the brand against you know the risk of being perceived as elitist?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and I talked about the the contradictions within Porsche, and, and that's part of one of them. You know, to own a Porsche, if you're buying a new one, you have to obtain some sort of success in your career and be at a certain stage of your life. But the thing about it is it's not unobtainable. If you work hard enough, um, if you do the right things, anyone could own a Porsche. And a big part of our marketing isn't trying to sell you on buying that car now. It's trying to give you the sense of aspiration for the brand, so that one day, if it's what you want and you have the means, that you would buy one. So we're not trying to move metal, we're trying
2: to move people. You talked about the experience centers. How do those differ from a traditional dealership? How does the, the, the buying process for, you know, for a Porsche differ than, you know, say, other cars and brands?
1: In North America, it's all very similar and you you have to buy a car from a dealership unless you're buying you know, from a private seller. So we can't sell any cars at those experience centers. In the purpose of those experience centers, truly the business case was not built around selling cars. The business case was built around selling experiences and getting people excited about what the brand stood for. So they've more than served their purpose and people can take delivery of their car at the experience center but they cannot buy their car at an experience center they have to do that at a dealership
2: you used to work with harley davidson you mentioned yes they were here a few years ago and they talked about how um the experience of owning a harley davidson begins you know the day that you you ride that bike out of the dealership and are the things that you're doing to intentionally extend the experience beyond that the actual sale and there is a whole host of things
1: within the Porsche world. The great thing about the brand, and I didn't touch on it during the presentation, I should have. I think with all cult brands, all passion brands, you have to appeal to the geekiest and nerdiest people that come to that brand. You have to do it because those are the people that will devour everything. And so, It can be anything from customer service initiatives that we have going at our dealerships to do you want to do a track experience? Do you want to get your racing license? Do you want to do Porsche Travel Club? Do you want to join the Porsche Club of America? As much as you want to go, as deep as you want to get into the brand, we will allow you to go there. And it's one of the things I love about Porsche. I say this to a lot of people. There there are a lot of experiences in life that are like a movie trailer. Right? You see the trailer, it's got every funny part, every big explosion, every piece of action. You see the movie and the rest of it's filler. At Porsche, the evidence is in some of the things we've built in the presentation that I showed. They are so good at continually putting things in place that make sure that as deep as you want to go, we're going to go another level. And I know that's a little bit outside of traditional customer service, and the question you asked, but that's the way that Porsche really looks at the brand.
2: You talk about the importance of innovation, and you're just going back to the, you know, um, the famous quote from the founder. How do you involve customers today in, in in product innovation?
1: Like all major marketers, we you know we hold focus groups and we do surveys, and a lot of what our engineers and developers in Weissach, which is where all of our R&D is done in Germany, take in that knowledge. But it also is very much a brand that goes its own way as well. You know, the big things, the uh, battery electric vehicles and autonomous driving and all those big topics are important to Porsche. But it's one of the daring parts of this brand that there are designers and engineers in Weissach that are saying, we have to make this car. Well, why? Because we can, <laughs> because we can make it. And, and you hear that a lot. The marketing group within Porsche is very connected to uh, research and development. So anytime we're looking at launching a car, we go to VISOC, we talk to designers, we talk to engineers, and you hear those type of things. We did this, why?
2: Well, be- because we could. Last question, because I know we're running short on time. You once said, and I hope you remember making this statement. I'm not going to put you too much on the spot here. You said, Porsche is the poorest rich company I've ever worked with. (laughs) And that caught me when I read that. I I have no idea what you were getting at, but uh, wondering if you could explain.
1: We are very lean. We are very efficient. And that quote actually came from uh, one of our agency partners that is hugely valued to us. I mean, they do incredible work. The gentleman that said it, I won't say his name, but he's he's a brilliant, brilliant guy that has done a lot for our brand. But he was saying it from a partner perspective because we're very frugal. We're a Schwabian, German company. And being the poorest rich company, this what he was trying to get across is, you're hugely profitable, you're very well known, you make very expensive cars, but man, you really put rigor into getting the most out of every dollar that you spend in every product that you create and it goes back to that intelligent performance.
2: Well, congratulations again on the award and thanks so much for uh, Yeah, joining thank us. you. That's our time.
1: My pleasure, All right? Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about, and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. I hope that
0: Scott helped you understand that Porsche isn't just in the car business. They're in the dream business. They're in the passion business. His job description is to deliver amazing. He has helped Portia reap huge financial success by balancing both craftsmanship and community. And he has masterfully leveraged all eight cult brand principles and particularly the principle of congregate which is to create opportunities for fans to assemble and to revel in their shared enthusiasm for the brand. From the Porsche Museum, to track events, to their everyday dealership experience, all the way to their Rensport Festival that happens every four or five years, Scott has showed us what good looks like. He also proved how much can be done with very little. You know, I remember other cult brand leaders, people from the LA Lakers or Cheetos or the Vegas Golden Knights, all talking about how lean their teams are and how many hats each person on that team has to wear. Scott is a great example of how much one person can do if they have the right blend of raw talent mixed in with really fully buying into the brand's purpose and its values. So don't fall into this trap thinking that you need more people or you need more money in order to create hyper-engaged customers, prospects, or staff. All you really need is the desire and the courage and the know-how and just a few individuals who refuse to settle for anything less. Until next time. Once again, this is your host, Chris Neeland. And you've been listening to Cult Brand Secrets, where we explore the great speakers and insights shared at The Gathering, a Forbes top-rated business summit. Learn more about The Gathering at cultgathering.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please rate and review us on your podcast app. It really helps. Cult Brand Secrets is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Learn more about our podcast at evergreenpodcasts.com. Special thanks to Connor Standish and Laura Winter for their assistance in making this podcast possible. Also, I'd like to thank our producer and audio engineer, William Pritz, as well as executive producers, David Moss and Bridget Coyne. I'm your host, Chris Nealon. Thanks for listening.